Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 76. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Do you love vintage cars? Then go to CarsYeah.com and get a free copy of the fantastic Filler Up book. It's a full-color ebook filled with fuel filler fun with over 60 color photographs of vintage cars plus inspirational quotes from some of the most famous automotive enthusiasts of all time. Simply go to CarsYeah.com, click on the free book button on the homepage, and download your Filler Up book today. It's free at CarsYeah.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I'm very excited to introduce the second part of my interview with my friend, Peter Brock. If you missed the first half of this interview, go back and listen to it first, because Peter's taken us through an amazing tale of his adventures with Carroll Shelby and the design of the championship Daytona Coupe. So, Peter, let the story continue. So, at that point, uh, you know, we lost pretty much any impetus we had in the shop except for the three of us and the two extra guys that came over but we finished the car up enough to get it running and then uh, on February 1st 1964 and this is just just before well, about two three weeks before Daytona we took it out to Riverside Raceway with Miles uh, to test the car and it was so fast at that point that Miles only made a few laps on the car and he just said he said, everything is good on this thing, except we don't have any traction at the back. And he, you know, immediately went to the phone and said, take this back to the shop. Uh, we've got to get some new tires on the back of this. Otherwise, it's not going to work at all. Shelby at that time was the distributor for uh, Goodyear Tires. He called uh, Tony Webner, who was the head of uh, Goodyear Racing at, uh, at Goodyear back in Akron, and asked for a new tire to the spec that uh, Ken and myself wanted. And they said, well, there's no way we can get it done in a couple of weeks before Daytona. But we do have a new tire that we've developed for the front of the NASCAR stockers. And uh, it's fairly close. It's much, much wider than you want. And if you can make it fit underneath the car, uh, we'll send you a couple of sets. So that day, they air freighted them out to California, and we mounted them up. And, of course, they stood out about an inch and a half beyond the body on the car at that time, which is illegal as far as the FIA rules for body work. So we quickly pop riveted on what we call some spats on the back end to get the coverage properly and uh, tested the car. And now it really worked pretty well. So Ken was really super happy with the car. And that's the way we took it to Daytona. And of course, the rest of the story is legendary how you beat the Ferrari GTOs and became the champions in 1965. <laughs> it's, it's just such an incredible story. And for the sake of time, and I, I could sit here for hours and hours and hours and listen to all of these pieces, but just, just a wonderful story. And the fact that you were there is even more amazing. And the fact that you stick to your guns and, and push and push, especially somebody working with somebody like Carol Shelby. But what I want to do now is, and we'll talk a little bit more as we move along here about all the different aspects, because your involvement went on with the GT350 Shelby Mustang, and I want to remind our listeners, there's a new book 
that Peter's coming out with. I believe it's, uh, is the book out now, Peter? The uh, Mustang book, 50 Years? That book is uh, is coming out soon. Okay. The last book that we did, of course, would be with the Corvette. Uh, proud to say that it won the uh, Motor Press Guild Book of the Best Book of the Year. Oh, fantastic. So that's currently available here through BRE or, or on Amazon. You can find that. And it's been a, a huge, huge bestseller. And, and we hope that the new books that we're working on will do just as well on it. Where do you think the uh, the Shelby Mustang 50 Years book will be out before Christmas? Yes, that book should be out. Yeah, that's Colin Calmer's new book, and uh, I've seen some of the uh, illustrations and things through it. Great, and it's it's going to be a great addition to the uh, to the library. Fantastic. Well, let's move forward a little bit here, and and there, again, there's so many things we could talk about with your histories that moved into uh, BRE with racing with Dotson and so forth, and then of course the hang gliding, which is just a whole nother adventure, and, and probably many many stories, but. What I'd love to do now, Peter, is is move into some of the questions that I usually ask my guests and start with a inspirational quote. And as we continue down this amazing journey, I'd like to start with a quote. If you could share one of your quotes or a mantra that's been important to you or instrumental in forming your life and your success, we'd really appreciate it. So, Peter, take the wheel. Well, human nature has uh, has proven the same for hundreds of years in my my favorite uh, favorite quote is comes from uh, the great German philosopher of the 1700s, uh, Schopenhauer. His main thing was the uh, reaction to a new idea, which, of course, if you're a designer, that's what you're all about is new ideas. And uh, he said there are three stages that uh, any new idea goes through. And, of course, uh, I mean, whether you go back to Copernicus or... or <laughs> Anybody. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that you get really is, uh, is you, the first stage, obviously, is that uh, people are just violently opposed to something. I mean, they just they ridicule it. They just say it's just the stupidest thing going. Uh, they don't like it at all. And, of course, the second one is, is, is it begins to gain a little traction, then you have some real opposition to it. And then, obviously, at the end, it's uh, accepted as self-evident. So those are the three stages of an idea. Whenever I've met any resistance to something, if I believed in it strong enough, I've always gone back to that. Is that you know it's going to be a matter of swimming upstream, but in the end, if it's right, it'll work. And uh, I've been fortunate enough to be right a few times and and uh, had the right people to work with to make all of those things happen. So Schopenhauer is my guide. Schopenhauer, well, wonderful and. Obviously, the story you told us about the Daytona Coupe uh, fits with that inspirational quote so, so well. Could you maybe share a couple other stories with us how that quote and how important it has been to your life has helped you overcome opposition to other things you've been involved with in your life? Well, I, you know, I mean, obviously, Daytona is, is the great uh, is the great you know, example of that because it's gotten the most amount of publicity, but there have been other uh, cars that I've designed. Uh, I designed a really one of my my favorite all-time cars. Was I designed a car for Kaz Kasner, who at that time, and this is when I was running the Datsun team. Kaz was running the uh, competition division for uh, Triumph on the west coast of the United States. We decided that uh, if Triumph didn't modernize their cars. They were going to get killed by the Japanese industry, who was really 
building some modern cars with like the 240Z. And he realized that was exactly the same thing. So we took the TR250K chassis and I designed a complete uh, TR250 chassis and I designed a new body for it, which was a TR250K, K being for Kasner. Got some approval uh, from the American office to uh, to build that car and, and a little bit of money to build it. And then he took that whole idea over to um, to the British to look at the idea. And of course, I wasn't there at that time, but the but the bottom line was that they turned it around saying it was in you know, far too American and uh, it wouldn't wouldn't work. And so again, there was this great resistance to the idea, but we built the car. It was a great aesthetic success. It was a very fast race car and in fact continues to race these days in, in vintage races. But it was again the same thing of trying to swim upstream with a new idea. But the car, with a lot of its uh, aerodynamics for a roadster, has proven to be uh, a shape that has been copied over and over again in in, uh, in modern automobiles. And uh, again, one of the cars that I'm most proud of. So again, it just it just repeats same thing. Uh, a lot of a lot of cars that way. I mean, I've done cars in in Italy and done cars in in a lot of different places. Work with different people, and it's always a new idea. It's tough to get it done, but when it's done. It's usually uh, usually very successful. What a wonderful story. Thank you for sharing that with us. Would you tell us that moment in your life that instigated your passion for cars? And maybe you already did that riding in that MGTC with that neighbor of yours going to the races. But can you remember that pivotal moment in your life when you really knew you were a car guy? Well, that absolutely occurred at age 12. Of course, Fritz had... had uh, been the instigation of getting him interested, but uh, the place that it was really happening was Bill Breeze's Sports Car Center down in uh, Sausalito out on the mud flaps there in a place called Marin City, which doesn't exist anymore. But uh, I got to hanging out down there, and there was a, just a, this great old Frenchman down there who was a great, uh, great fabricator, and uh, hardly would say a word to me at all. You know, I just it, it would hang around and, and keep looking in. He had a little rope across the front of his shop he was doing body work there but off in the corner he was building an mgtc special uh, a blown tc special at that time that he was going to race you know after months you know he hardly ever said a word to me on one saturday afternoon he just pointed to the car that i should get in it and he was going to take it out for a test run and uh, you know here we are in this full-on race car you know straight pipes a blower and everything running over these uh, these roads out in Marin County. And you could do that in those days. I mean, there, there was hardly any traffic, no problem with the police or anything. This beautiful, beautiful little all-aluminum car, you know, was so low that I could put my hand out the door and drag it on the ground. That's how low it was. <laughs> and I could realize then at that point, you know, with, with uh, Nato, Nato Borgerold was the guy's name, he was actually steering it with the throttle. And that was really the pivotal moment. <laughs> wow. What a, so at that point, I said, boy, this is really what I want to do. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, what fun. Isn't that great? He just kind of kept you at bay, kept you at bay, and then opened the doors to a passion that's yep. been lifelong. That's great. Peter, what I'd love to do now is is take a look at maybe one of the many roads you've driven down and really crawl under the hood and, and get our hands a little dirty. 
Would you share with me and our listeners a huge challenge? And I realize with a life like yours, you've faced many challenges, many failures, but maybe you can pick one out for us that really pushed you to a breaking point. But more importantly, how you overcame that particular situation and what you learned from it. Well, I guess, you know, I always have to come back to the Daytona because, again, it wasn't so much that, uh, that I got the idea across the carol on it, but it really, the, the real challenge was that at that point we were a very, very small group. Uh, we made about 10 guys in, the, in Shelby American. But of these 10 guys, we had probably the cream of the crop of uh, of the best race car builders in Southern California, headed up by Phil Remington, uh, who's you know just a legendary guy in the world of fabrication, and he was our chief engineer. And you know we had other great guys, Don Borth and Red Rose and Gary Kowicki and Bruce Burness, all these wonderful, just great fabricating guys that uh, were in the shop. And the real challenge was to convince them that it would be a good idea to get on board with building this race car. And there was so much resistance to it. But in the end, uh, right after that point of going out to Riverside, when we tested it the first time, we broke the lap record by three and a half seconds and uh, improved the speed, even on the fairly short uh, back straight at, uh, at Riverside. We went from 165 to about 185 miles per hour. And, and that that really was the breakthrough. So it was again that challenge of convincing people that uh, something would work that made it uh, made it all to come together. Well, and there's a, a word that comes to mind, and I hear this over and over when I speak to my guests and successful entrepreneurs, which you've been your whole life, and that's perseverance. Is sticking to your guns and just persevering, and it sounds like that's what you had to do there many times. Well, sometimes you don't have any other choice, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have any other challenge. That's the only thing that you can do. Well, <laughs> that's pretty funny. I like that. Peter, let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. And I'd love for you to share a story when you had a real aha moment in your business or your career. And, and maybe, if it's okay with you, I'd love to apply this to this trailer that you're building, the Arrow Vault, because... It is so unique and different, and you've been building them for a while, but there's something new going on in your shop that I'd love for you to share with our listeners. But could you maybe go back when you came up with the concept for the Aero Vault and talk about that aha moment when you said, you know what, I think this might be a viable thing to do, and, and tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into a success. Well, obviously, when when you're building cars, um uh, and you have to move things around. A, a trailer is pretty important to have because, you know, not everything runs at, at that time. And also, once you get it run and you want to take it to the track, uh, you want to figure out, a you know, an efficient way to do it. And all the time that I've been, you know, around the around trailers and stuff, I the thing that, that really came to me when I was working for Max Falchowski, he had one of the fastest race cars in Southern California. I mean, he was running against all of the top teams, had all of the top drivers. He had Dan Gurney driving, Bob Drake. I mean, any of the top guys in Southern California were driving those cars. And Max never owned a trailer. Hmm. And I'd asked him, I said, Max, why don't, how come you don't have a trailer? He says, well, the best way to prove the car really is to drive it to the racetrack. <laughs> and you put more miles on it. And when you get there, you know that everything works. So, that was the first moment in realizing that you don't go racing until the car is absolutely ready to go. 
So there's no point, you know, if you have to go clear across the country and it's impractical to do that, there's no point in building this huge trailer that you're going to take your whole shop with you and, and uh, everything else, you know, and make it a second home. That's a very, very inefficient way to travel. So if you look in the back of any trailer today that's carrying a race car, only half of it's filled with a race car. The upper part is all air. Mm-hmm. So if you look at that from the outside, you're carrying a bunch of air down the road for no reason at all other than the, the practicality of when you arrive there that you can walk in and push the car out, and once it's outside, it's all wasted space. Right. So I looked at that and I said, you know, this is really a stupid way to build a trailer. You know, why not build a sheath, you know, for your, for your weapon? And so I looked at it in terms of pretty much like designing a race car, trying to figure out what the least amount of space that could be used to uh, enclose the car, still make it practical enough where you could walk in and out of it. And after you get the car out, you know, if you wanted to, to have a place to sit down and talk or whatever, you know, have a table and chairs or whatever, you could put it on inside. But it didn't have to be something that you had to be able to stand up and walk around in. I mean, the obvious thing was, well, if you look at it from the front, a trailer is going to be a lot more frontal area than the towing vehicle. So you look at it, and what sticks out the most, it's the top sides on either side. So the obvious thing was to just chop that off at about a 45-degree angle on either side, and that immediately removed all of this blunt frontal area. And then the next thing was just use all the aerodynamic principles I knew of rounding off the front end and smoothing everything out. And sure enough, you know, we built the first trailer, and uh, it's getting 36% better gas mileage and running at a much higher average speed. So once that uh, we got a prototype built, uh, I built it around my Daytona Coupe uh, that I drive on the street. Other racers began to ask, well, are those available? So I found somebody that uh, could contract and build those for me and built them to a very high quality. But the problem was that we couldn't build enough of them efficiently to make it worthwhile. So that was our whole effort when we came down here to Anderson, Nevada, is that we would uh, cut all of those uh, difficult points away and do everything ourselves. And that's why we set up this new 10,000-square-foot uh, shop to build the new aero vaults. Oh, wonderful story. And the the improved gas mileage, you said 36% improved gas mileage of the towing vehicle? Yeah, not only that, but uh, it's much, much faster because normally, uh, the, the, say, if you tow with a, a – most of the guys have to have a big, heavy pickup truck because you can't tow most of the trailers out there. They're built with regular motorhome construction. They're so heavy. You have to have a special vehicle to tow, which is very impractical for a weekend warrior club racer. Uh, I wanted to build something that you can tow with your little SUV or a sedan. Uh, so it has to be extremely lightweight. So we chose to make it all out of aluminum and composite. So that was the first thing is to make it practical so you didn't have to get a special vehicle. And then uh, by improving the aerodynamics, uh, a conventional uh, towing vehicle gets up to about 60 miles an hour, and then it starts kicking down a gear or two to be able to, you know, push that much wind. Mm-hmm. With our trailer, you, you can just keep right on going on up, you know, as fast as the uh, the local conditions permit. And some of the first guys that got our cars and towed back to Tulsa for the national championships and autocrossing and stuff found they were getting there hours early and uh, 
and much, much better gas mileage. So that word got around the pits pretty soon that the AeroVault was the trick way to haul your race car. Yeah, well, I want to congratulate you, all you, all your folks and your talented team there for uh, taking the uh, the enormous risk and challenge of producing these yourself. I know it's a, a huge undertaking, and I wish you the best, and I encourage our listeners to go to uh, bre2.net and check out this AeroVault. It's like something you've never seen before, and when I was down at Laguna Seca, I saw one as I was driving out the track being pulled by a Porsche uh, SUV. So and I just kind of smiled and went, there you go. You don't need a big truck. You can use your, your normal vehicle. That's fantastic. Let's have a little fun here, Pete. Can you tell us what was your first really special car? And maybe share a moment you had with that vehicle. Well, my first car, again, because uh, all that was really available uh, generally in, in that early time, 48 and 49, was MGTCs. And that was my first love. I mean, it was a beautiful car. I still think it's one of the great designs. But uh, as soon as I got into high school, nobody was interested in sports cars. Uh, they were all interested in hot rods. So I sold my MG, and I bought a uh, half-finished uh, Ford, which had been chopped and channeled and finished that up. I put a CAD engine in it, and that, uh, that was really my first, you know, real design work uh, and gave me a love for both fabrication and design and uh, the the great art of hot rodding, which is a great American art, and it gave me a whole understanding of, of, of design and stance and how cars should be built. And I think that's transferred over to a lot of uh, the great American designers that they all came from a, an early background. Larry Shinoda, who was the, the guy that designed the production version of the, of the Stingray, was a, a great American hot rodder and uh, understood all of those things. So that that 46 line was that, that great uh, first car. Was that the vehicle? You had won an award for a design on, on an older hot rod. Was that the, the vehicle that you won an award for? Yeah, that was the Oakland Roadster Show, which was at that time obviously held in Oakland. It's now held down in Southern California uh, at Pomona. But uh, won the Oakland Roadster Show with that car. And, uh, you know, it was a really really fun because it you know the, the the cream of all the hot rodding industry was there and that's a judge by all the other people that are that are in the sport oh, at that time fantastic that's awesome uh seller's remorse is there a vehicle you've had in your past that you really wish you could have back that would be it i don't know where it went to some i it disappeared i had to sell it to finish uh school at art center mm-hmm uh, and it, it disappeared someplace back in North Carolina. So if anybody's listening back there and uh, has a line on it, I'd sure be interested in getting yeah, that back. give Peter a call. He wants his car back, please. Is there a current project you're working on right now, Peter, that really has you excited and fired up? Well, the thing that we're really concentrating on car is, is, is the new AeroVault. And, of course, we've done uh, so many upgrades on it from the previous model. Uh, we're using a lot more composite materials in it, so it's going to be lighter, it's going to be stronger, and, of course, it's going to be more efficient aerodynamically. So I'm pretty excited for us to get our, our first prototype finished up and uh, and get it out on the road. Oh, I can't wait. That's so exciting. So, Peter, here's a funny question for you. If you were a car, if Peter Brock was a car, what kind of car would he be and why? Oh, boy. You know, the most exciting racing uh, is sprint car racing. I love watching the sprinters on dirt, and I think that uh, it would either have to be a sprint car or a 
really special built off-road racing car uh, because I think those are the greatest challenges technology uh, from the standpoint of designing a great chassis. But uh, they're the most amount of horsepower, the lightest weight, and the most amount of fun to drive. So if you were going to be a car, it would be a sprint car or uh, something to run the Baja 1000. (laughs) Great answer. I love that. So, Peter, we're coming up on the last lap here, and this is where I fire off a series of questions, and you give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Yeah, sure. Okay. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? That came from Max Belchowski, who uh, built the old Yellers. He said, nobody knows anything. Don't believe anything until you've proven it yourself. And I think that's always proven true because there's so many things that are done on what's called common wisdom that are in the wrong direction. And if you're brave enough to try something different and it works, uh, it's going to work out. Uh, Fantastic. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? I think it's that uh, if you believe in an idea, uh, you keep trying. Uh, You don't let it go. If you believe in it strong enough, uh, you just might be right. You know, and I've been lucky enough uh, to work with a lot of great people and prove that out. Great. Believe in yourself. Believe in your ideas. Do you have a resource? that you could share with our listeners that you're really fond of? Maybe it's a website that you go to frequently or? Well, I mean, as far as the resource of, you know, if you're involved in racing, uh, you know, uh, and this is one reason uh, I was so interested in, in covering racing as a journalist is that you've got to go where the action is because if that's the way that you really see what's happening and what's changing uh, and you can be on Insider and, and watch the sport change. And we're so fortunate now with, media coverage and racing, if you're really interested in racing, uh, to be able to see what's going on and uh, what's happening in the sport. So if you want to know what's happening, just go there and get involved. doesn't matter if you're going to be a, a fly-in helper on the weekend or whatever it is, but, uh, you know, offer your services to a team. Do it for nothing, and you'll learn so much and get a lot of great advice and a lot of experience. Oh, yeah. That's great. Is there a book? All you do is just, you know, ask questions, you know. (laughs) Yes. Pick out the people you admire and respect and just ask questions. Absolutely. Peter, would you share a book that you recently read with our listeners that you really enjoyed? Well, of course, I just have to tell everybody it's one of our books, you know. Um, Those are available on our website. Uh, You just go to www bre2.net you can certainly uh, check out all the books you know I've done several but uh, this latest Corvette book is really really a great book and the ones that are coming are going to be equally as good oh and I have a copy I've got one of the first copies from Peter and it is spectacular and I'll remind our listeners if you go to carsyad.com slash Peter Brock you'll find his show notes page and references and links to everything that he shared with us today including his website Peter, do you have any interesting hobbies outside of your passion for cars? Well, I've got several, uh, you know, that have absolutely nothing to do with cars. I don't think, I think if uh, I hadn't been involved with cars, I've always been involved in art. But my greatest interest is is primitive art, especially in uh, in the southwestern part of the United States. You know, southwestern Indian art fired about 1930, and a lot of the influence that came up uh, out of Mexico from uh, the late 1800s. That whole era is just fantastic because the 
people that were creating the great art at that time didn't have any formal training and did it all of whether they were creating beautiful blankets or great silverware adornment. I think that uh, primitive art is one of the great things. And one of the beautiful things about it is that uh, it's something a guy can wear in jewelry. Uh, you know, it's it's not a fussy gold thing or too fancy. Uh, you know, you can wear it with jeans and stuff. And for that matter, I've always loved that. And uh, so that's always been a, a, a great interest of mine. And of course, you know, other hobbies of mine are <clears throat> ultralight flight. You know, I flew hang gliders for a long time. And that's always been a, a great, great sport. So there are a lot of other things besides cars. Primarily my current interest now is primarily in uh, history and politics. All right, Peter, we're up to the checkered flag, and you know what that means. This last question can be a real doozy for some people. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, and it's something you can't sell to buy a bunch of other cars with, and money's no object, I'm going to buy you whatever you want today. What would that vehicle be, and why? Well, again, it gets back to uh, it gets back to the combination of art and engineering, and I believe that the the greatest uh, cars of that era uh, were in the 1930s. The Alfa Romeo uh, 8C 2900s. They made about 50 of them. Each one was different, but uh, my favorite uh, car is uh, John Mozart's uh, car, which was actually the first one built. And it's such a great, great, because it, it, it was originally designed as a Grand Prix car. So it, uh, it's, it's a blown supercharged car with all these beautiful castings on it. There was no expense spared uh, to do them. So when you look at it, it's as, it's as beautiful a piece of art as it is uh, engineering, and the lines on it are just killer. So it would be a, a, an Alfa Romeo 8C 2900. Uh. Beautiful choice. That is a magnificent car. Well, Peter, you've taken us on an incredible ride today, and I know there's so much more we could talk about. I've really enjoyed your stories, and I want to thank you for taking us on this journey. Is there one parting piece of guidance that you could offer our listeners before you drive off into the sunset in that Alpha? Never lift. Never lift. You heard it from Peter (laughs) Brock. Do not lift. (laughs) That's great. I want to remind our listeners that they can go to Peter's website, bre2.net, and learn more about what Peter's up to today and see all the great books, check out the Aero Vault and everything. And of course, go to his new YouTube page, Peter Brock's World. You'll get to hear Peter speak and learn about all the different things he's been involved with and actually see him right there on your computer screen or your tablet or your smartphone. Peter, I want to thank you for being so generous with your time today and in your expertise and sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. It's always a joy to talk to you. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Great, Mark. Enjoyed it. Great questions. Always fun to chat. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up! a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!